0: be reading from two passages this morning. Genesis 6, which if you have one of the Bibles from the back, is on page 5. We'll read the whole chapter. And if you'll hold your your place in Hebrews 11, verse 7, we'll read that afterward. Pastor Ted asked if I would um, remind us to look or observe three things from this passage. One is how bad the days of Noah were, that they're worse than ours. And you'll see that in verses, chapter 6, verse 5, and verses 11 through 13. You'll see some words there, every, only, continually. Second thing is two words, favor, and literally grace, and righteous, are used for the very first time in the Bible regarding Noah in verses 8 and 9. And third, that Noah did all that God commanded him in verse 22, that his obedience was universal. So if you'll follow along with me in chapter 6, we'll read the whole section. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Make it lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, and which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sword into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds. Of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. If you'll go to Hebrews. 11.7. Eleven seven. the writer says by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith amen
1: I'm actually gonna put this back. I was just asked before, and Jim, I'm sorry you didn't you weren't told that. So there we go. I appreciate Dave Malone choosing this song that we're learning about faith because it's the words are so appropriate to this series. You know by now that your pastors would like to see the faith of all of us who know the Lord and the faith of us as a church to grow and to mature and to become bold for exploits for God and that's why we have chosen to spend time in Hebrews chapter 11 you will remember that this book was written especially to encourage weary, otherwise discouraged, persecuted, perhaps even debilitated believers, and to encourage them to press on and to persevere in their Christian lives. This is especially clear if we just look back to verse 30, uh, 30 I guess it's 37, if you just notice there for a moment. No, let me go all the way back to verse 32 instead. But recall the former days. of We're talking now about chapter 10, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those So treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. That would be their brothers and sisters in Christ who were literally put in prison for their faith. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that yourselves, that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Now notice the application here for encouragement to to believe. Therefore... Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith." And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But, says the writer to his readers, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere, and faith and preserve their souls. You are those who have faith and preserve your souls. And having mentioned faith, then, he goes right into explaining what faith is in its nature and in its essence and what it looks like in its outworking, and that's what chapter 11 is all about. So we're simply wanting to encourage all of us who are true believers to grow in this wonderful grace of faith. In verses 1 through 3, which Pastor Keith opened up for us, we see that faith is being so sure... Of the truthfulness of god and what he promises that our confidence actually brings the future into the present and it actually is enabled spiritually speaking to bring that which is unseen into visibility so in a sense the definition of faith helps us appreciate what I'm going to call the seeing power of faith. Just please notice, especially with verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then if I could just, I know I've reversed the order, we'll go back now to verse 1. And, and see this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Those two words, not seen, are very, very critical to our understanding of faith. I personally prefer, of all of the translations, how the, the Net Bible, the NET translates it. It says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and it's being convinced of what we do not see. That's really helpful. Being sure of what we hope for and being convinced of what we do not see. Please, please don't lose sight of those words, of what we do not see, because there's a sense in which we don't see the things that are yet future, but according to the apostle or the writer to the Hebrews, whomever he was, faith does see that which cannot be seen and it brings that which is future into the present. In fact, it's so real to the person who has it that it's not only the future brought to the present, it's a reality that is as sure as the past. It's so real. That's the essence of this kind of seeing power that the writer is speaking about. So we saw it going into action in the case of Abel. Tim preached to us about it. Abel worshipped. We saw it last week with regard to Enoch. Enoch walked, and we're going to see this morning that Noah worked, because faith works. Maybe those words are helpful to you. Abel worshipped, Enoch walked, Noah worked. Now, my outline this morning is very simple. I'm going to cover four things. First of all, the action of Noah's faith. What did he do by faith? Secondly, the foundation of Noah's faith. What did it rest upon? Third, the nature of Noah's faith. What what was its essence? What were its properties? And finally, the fruit of Noah's faith. What it produced. So if you're given to outlining, as some of you are, I hope that simple outline will give you guidance and give you something to look back on. What you need to do is uh, follow the example of some of these dear brothers and sisters in our church. One comes to my mind is Donna Reed. Uh, She's an extremely good note-taker, and she later will show you your outline, and it's always encouraging. And then she takes that outline in her notes and literally has her devotions with them in the week to follow. Now, uh, I'm going to confess to you, and I hope this doesn't sound like pride, that she told me that she follows my notes more fully and more protractedly than anyone else's, any of the other pastor's notes. And I asked her why, and she said, because they don't make any sense, and I have to keep looking at them and looking at them and figuring out what in the world was he getting at. So, uh, anyway... Now, back to Noah. I just have to admit to you that having lived with Noah this past week especially, and I have lived with him, I have read the Genesis record over and over there, four chapters, six, seven, eight, and nine. I have listened to them being read over and over. I've actually enjoyed some sermons by some dear servants of the Lord on this passage. I feel like I've lived with Noah this past week. And I have to confess to you that when I look at my faith in comparison to his I feel that it is terribly, terribly small and deficient. And I tried to put myself into his situation and tried to imagine what it would be like if I were Noah the first day God came to him and spoke, obviously, in some very direct kind of way to him. I know it would have been much different than the record we have in Genesis 6 and 7 as soon as God started talking to me about destroying all mankind which would make sense to me because it was a very wicked generation as Jim pointed out that I asked him to point out that we always think we live in the worst of times we don't live in the worst of times it was worse during Noah's day than it was in our time that's what the Bible says the Bible says every thought of every imagination were continually evil the world was filled with corruption and when it was all said and done God can only find perhaps one Righteous person. I'm not sure that Noah's wife was converted, nor his sons. They may have been, and their wives. We don't know. The Bible says Noah was a righteous man. Noah found favor or grace in God's eyes. Noah was blameless. There was perhaps only one single human being on the earth who was still godly less than a year ago. Your pastors were privileged to participate in a wonderful conference in Louisville, which we do every other year. 8,000 people worshipped in Louisville. There are millions of Christians on this earth. There was perhaps only one when Noah lived. And as I imagine myself in the position of hearing that revelation, I could just hear myself interrupting God say, Wait a minute, wait a minute. An ark? <laughs> what is What is ark? You know, it's a big ship. A big ship. Where am I going to build that? Over by the, by the sea? No, you're going to build it right here. Here, <laughs> this is in the middle of nowhere. There's no body of water nearby. Well, I'm going to bring water. How are you going to bring water? I'm going to open the springs of the, and the fountains of the deep. I've never seen one. What are you talking about, God? I'm going to open the spigots and, and faucets of heaven, and I'm going to pour down rain. Rain? Rain? What is rain? It's possible that it hadn't yet rained. I'm not going to die on that one. But in Genesis 2, we see that the earth was watered by a mist that came up from the earth. One thing's for sure, there had never been a flood. Never been a flood. A flood? What is a flood? Well, you're going to build this big ship, Noah, and you're going to build it the way I tell you, and when it's all done... After 120 years, I'm going to send this flood, but you're going to fill the ship with two of all types of animals, male and female, everything that walks on the face of the earth, and you're going to build quarters for them, three decks. This is going to be like a battleship, a cruise ship. It's going to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, and you're going to put all of the animals that are on the face of the earth, or at least pairs of them into this ship, and plenty of food, and at the appropriate time, I'm going to close the door, and I'm going to save you and your family, and I'm going to kill every single living being on the face of the earth. Can you imagine? And then you go home and you tell your wife about this vision, this, <laughs> this encounter you had with God. Honey, you're not going to believe it. God talked to me today. Well, I believe that. He's talked to you before. I know, but listen, honey, what's going to happen? And your wife says, what? What? Yes, God said it. It's going to happen, sweetheart. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to start building the ark, and I'm going to get the boys to help, and maybe we'll have to hire some help, but I'm starting. When are you starting? Tomorrow. And Noah began building. This extraordinary vessel, which eventually was lifted up by the waters of the flood and floated. I mean, there's so many things to just let your imagination go on. I don't see myself responding the way Noah did. After about the 75th, wait a minute, what's that mean? I think God would have been very impatient with me, and it would have been a revelation and indication that I lacked faith. And I think God would have had to have interrupted me and say, will you just be quiet and believe me and take me at my word? This is God talking to you. I'm God. You're Noah. I created you. I can do anything. But I suspect that Noah just said things like, at your service, Lord, when may I begin? There isn't the slightest indication that Noah doubted God or hesitated to obey his command. So, I'm just acknowledging that. I hope that as you think about it, you can say to Lord, I don't think I would have the faith of Noah. There's an extraordinary account here. We don't have many verses about Abel, as you recall from that sermon. We only had seven verses about Enoch. We have four full chapters about Noah. This was an extraordinary feat on his part. So, let's take a look then very quickly at these four things. First of all, the action of Noah's faith. Faith, you know, goes into action. That's a very important thing for you to grasp and not forget from the sermon. In fact, if you forget everything else, maybe that would be the one thing you should hold on to, that true saving faith always goes into action. What did Noah do by faith? Well, look at the text again, 11.7. By faith, Noah, and here comes a little parenthesis, so let's just, we'll read it and then we're going to set it apart and read it as though it weren't there. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen in reverent fear. Let's take that whole section and just set it aside a second. The parenthesis begins with the word being, it ends with the word fear, and let's just see what we would have to do if we outlined this. By faith, Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. That's what Noah did. Noah obeyed God's command to build an ark. He constructed an ark, and I've already indicated that it would be similar to a modern-day battleship. But what a colossal task. Where did he get the gopher wood? From surrounding forests. How did he get it all there? Think of all the trees that had to be cut down. Think of all of the planing that had to be done to make them into beams. Think of all of the rooms. Think of three floors. I can imagine Noah coming home after 75 years or so, and his wife says, well, honey, how's it going? Where are you now? What have you been doing today? And he says, I'm working on a a room toward the back of the third floor. That's where the lions are going to be kept. I finished the big room for the elephants. I finished the room for the gorillas. I mean, literally, all of those creatures were brought into the ark supernaturally by God. And we shouldn't be hung up on how can all this be possible, because everything's possible with God. It's the non-believer who struggles with whether or not there was a universal flood and whether or not someone could actually construct a ship that large that would hold that many animals. It's very easy to believe once you believe that in the beginning... God. God has always existed. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God can do anything He wants. He is the God of the supernatural. But I just don't want you to read the story and just take it in stride as though this is an extraordinary... Everything about this is extraordinary. Noah's doing this for 120 years... Some of us have been privileged to have a job for 15, 20, 30 years. Some of us. This particular job for me is is four decades plus. That's nothing compared to Noah's. It's less than a third of Noah's job. Can you imagine six days a week... Year after year after year after year after year, 50 years go by, 60 years go by, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110... 117, 118, 119 years doing the same thing day in and day out all the while preaching righteousness to this wicked, vile generation who laughs and mocks at you. Let your imagination go there for a while. What would you say to Noah if you were an unbeliever? What do you think the neighbor said of Noah? You're building a what? A ship out here? No water, Noah. No water here. And what's going to go in it? How are you going to get all those animals in there? Where are you going to get them from? You think you can get a lion into a boat? Really? And people mocked Noah. Surely they mocked Noah. But Peter tells us he was a preacher of righteousness and he told that generation, just like Enoch told his generation, there is a God of judgment and a judgment is coming. And you need to repent. And I believe that if Noah's generation and neighbors repented, it would have happened with them as it did in Nineveh. God would have been merciful and gracious. But he preached to an obstinate people. No one repented. No one got saved to our knowledge. And he did this for 120 years. Quite an action. And that action was produced by faith. Faith is an active grace. That's point number one. Number two, what was the foundation of Noah's faith? What did, what did his faith rest upon? This isn't rocket science. This isn't seminary stuff. Just think for a minute. He proceeded to do what he was told to do. So he acted on a faith in what? What? in the truthfulness of God. It's like God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You've heard that before. His faith was resting upon divine revelation. And that's the very thing that our faith must always rest upon. The text says being warned by God. Verse 7, by faith, which by the way, there are 19 by faiths in this. That's why we've called this series By Faith. By faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, next week by faith Abraham, and we proceed. Seventeen people are identified, and then general groups are identified. But the faith rests upon the foundation of divine revelation. The Word of God was His foundation The Word of God must be our foundation. No wonder Paul said, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word, the Word, the Word of Christ. I have an application at this point before I move on to number three. Now you know, folks, that God has spoken to us as well as He had spoken to Noah. You know that. (laughs) Here it is. In fact, God has spoken to us much, 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 much more than He spoke to Noah. We have the completed Word of God. We may not have everything we'd like to know, but we have everything we need to know. We have a supernaturally... Divinely inspired, authoritative, without any error, revelation from God. And every day of our lives we can read it and meditate on it and memorize it and seek to guide our lives by it. Every single day there is a foundation for our faith to rest upon. It's the Word of God. And my question to you as well as to my own conscience, is this. Do you see your faith growing? Enlarging? Becoming more vigorous? Becoming more active? If for the sake of your life, could you quickly stand up right now and say, this is the really, really bold thing that I am presently trusting God for based upon the revelation of his word and who he is and my general understanding of the will of God. Our hearts were united this morning when Pastor Keith pleaded for our sister Joy again. And we can argue reverently with God, God, isn't our faith at least the size of a mustard seed? Would you move this mountain? But I'm asking you a different question now. What are you presently trusting God for that is really big and bold? Really big and bold. And if you say, you know, I don't think anything is really big and bold. You know, ark like, flood like, deluge like, rain like. Why not? Why not? Is there nothing big that we can embrace as an enterprise for the glory of God? We were challenged to that a few weeks ago by Pastor Jonathan. We need to individualize that because there's a foundation for our faith. So faith goes into action, and faith rests upon a foundation. And the foundation is trustworthy because everything that God has revealed is rooted in a person who is trustworthy. So just appreciate this before I come to point 3. The reason why God's word may be trusted is because God may be trusted. The Word is not trustworthy in and of itself as though it came out of nowhere. The Word is trustworthy because it comes from a trustworthy God, a God of truth, a God of fidelity. So, we do have a wonderful foundation, and something ought to be being built on that. Well, in the third place, I want us to think for a few moments about the nature of Noah's faith. What, what really was the, the essence of it? What, what were the ingredients of his faith? What were the properties of his faith? Because I want to have that kind of faith. I don't just want the degree of faith that Noah had. I want the kind of faith he had. And I'm going to answer that question, and I'm going to address that by su- suggesting two things thinking in two categories. I want you to think with me for just a moment subjectively. That would be inwardly, sort of something that you can't... you can't look at with physical eyes, but it's real. It's a genuine... you feel love in your heart. That's a subjective emotion. Subjectively, there's something about the faith of Noah that needs to characterize ours. And then I want us to see objectively... nature of his faith. So subjectively, I think we get really helped by the the words in the first part of verse 7, by faith, Noah. Now let's come back to the parentheses. Being warned by God, there's the the foundation, there's the revelation. God told him what's going to happen. Big flood's coming. As sure as you're hearing my voice, Noah, in 120 years, I'm going to destroy all mankind. Noah being warned that's that's the objective part of it concerning events yet not seen i drew an arrow in my bible from verse 1 faith is the is being sure of what we hope for it is being convinced of what we do not see i drew an arrow in pencil, from verse 1, not seen, down to verse 7, yet unseen, because that's part of what saving faith is. It's believing stuff you can't see with your physical eyes, but it's seeing what can't be seen. That's why I'm talking about the seeing power of faith. But here's the next phrase this is what I really want to get at in reverent fear. Some say in godly fear. What is that? No, wait a minute. Let's read it in its sequence. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. In what constructed an ark? That's that's the obedience part. Okay, we know that this is rooted in, founded upon faith. Faith acts. Faith caused him to construct an ark, but he didn't just construct an ark. He didn't just obey. He obeyed out of what the writer calls a reverent faith. A reverence for God. a rever- He called it a fear. It's a holy, inward, deep-down can't weigh it can't measure it but it's real it's down in the soul it's a deep persuasion that god has spoken and i believe god and i revere god and i'm sure he's telling the truth and it's very serious that i obey him i don't have a choice in this i can't be oblivious to this i really believe god I'm going to have to act on this thing that I feel down in the depths of my soul. So what am I saying? I'm saying that before faith is an action, faith is an emotion. It's an emotion. It's a deep down subjective persuasion that this is serious business. Now, not all faith is in that sense foreboding and kind of fearful. It's It may be an emotion of joy. What God promises this? Are you kidding me? This fills my heart with a holy joy. Good. There's all kinds of emotions that the heart should be filled with based upon the revelation of God. In this particular case, it was a warning of judgment to come. No wonder, the writer says, being moved with a a holy reverence, with a fear... So I'm just really stressing there's a subjective element to our faith. And if, let me just use bad English, if there ain't no subjective emotion in your faith, you ain't got the real deal. You don't have saving faith. Saving faith is not first in action. Saving faith is an inward persuasion. It is an emotion. You must have that emotion. I must have that emotion. In reverent fear. He constructed an ark. Now, what was he fearful of? The seriousness of the consequences, the importance of him obeying. I just want to throw this question here: What if Moses, or what if Noah, what if Noah didn't build an ark? Just let your imagination go. He said, that, "That's crazy! <laughs> Flood out here? No, no. I, I'll believe God for some things. I'm not going to believe Him for that. What would have happened? Noah would have died." Noah would have been destroyed in the flood. He knew that he needed to obey, but he also knew that in obeying God, he would be safe because part of the promise was, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. You're building this ark. This ark is for the saving of you and your family. When you get in there, I'm going to close the door. You're going to be safe, and I'm starting all over with humanity. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? All of us thought we descended only from Adam. All of us have also descended only from Noah because God started all over with Noah. He starts with a new humanity. So, in one sense, you know, we could say, "Noah, are you really fearful?" And he said, "Well, I'm sobered. I'm deeply sobered by the awesomeness of what's going to happen. But is your is your this reverent, this fear of reverence that you have, is it is it dreadful? No, 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 no. It's not dreadful. Why? Because didn't you hear the good news? It's for my salvation that I'm building the ark." My wife and I and my sons and their wives were all going to be kept safe. So the fear wasn't a dreadful fear, a craven fear. It was the, the reverence of "I want to obey God. This is serious business. i don't want to go against my father's will. Do you obey God just out of sheer i 'm going to use this word servile fear. I'm just scared to death. My whole Christian life just scares me to death. Everything I do, I just do out of fear. I'm just so afraid of everything. Or do you, do you respond to God out of joy and comfort and peace that you're reconciled with God and your sins are pardoned and they're buried in the depths of the sea and you have favor with God and you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and you just, you just don't want to disappoint your father. You love him. And I'm sure that was part of the fear so, subjectively, there's that. And I just want to say to you folks, my brothers and sisters, dear friends, if faith doesn't do something deep down in our souls before it acts, it's just head knowledge. It's just head knowledge. It's just intellectual. One of the commentators said, and I think it was Matthew Henry, that emotion is the first child of faith And obedience is the first child of emotion. You get that? God puts this holy, subjective fear of Himself in your soul that moves you from the inside out. And that's the first child that faith gives birth to. But then that child of emotion gives birth to obedience. And that brings us to the objective part. Um, At the end of the day, faith manifests itself by our actions, as I've indicated in my first point. I'm not going to turn you to James, but you know the words. You know what James said. He said, without works, faith is dead. He says it's dead. John the Apostle argues in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, that if we say we love God and we don't keep His commandments, the truth is not in us and we are liars. Faith, saving faith, is always joined to works. And that's why I've said, Abel worshipped, Enoch walked, Noah worked. We worship, we walk with God, and our faith works. It better work, because if it doesn't work, it's not saving faith. Jesus says that in the day of judgment, He's going to look at a lot of professing Christians and say, depart from me, I never knew you, you who worked iniquity. So obedience is a critical part of the Christian life. It's not the basis of our salvation. It's the fruit of our salvation. When Noah found favor in God's sight, it wasn't because he was blameless. God looks all over the world and he says, I've got to find someone who's blameless, who has no sin. And then if I can find a sinless person, I'll give him grace. That's crazy. You can't be a sinless person without grace. Not that Noah was sinless. Jesus is the only person who wasn't sinless. But outwardly speaking, he lived a blameless, righteous life. Why? Because he found grace in the sight of God. God didn't find grace in him. Noah found grace, and it produced a life of obedience and righteousness. And obedience to clear-cut grace. Commands. So the nature of faith, saving faith, is that it produces in our hearts a holy reverence for God and His will and a desire to never disappoint our gracious, loving, redeeming, saving, holy God. And out of that emotion, we seek to obey Him for the, for the sake of His own glory and for the good of our souls. Do you see those two things in your life? I'm moving to my last point. We've seen the action of Noah's faith. We've seen the foundation of Noah's faith. And now we're looking at the nature of it, and I'm saying there's a subjective element to it. It's down deep in the heart and the soul. And then there's an objective expression of it. Do you have those two things working in your lives? Can you identify them? Do you feel what I'm talking about? Does your life show what I'm talking about? Well, lastly, we come to the what I'm calling the fruit of Noah's faith. What did it result in? Well, it resulted in something immediately, and it resulted in something ultimately. What did it result in immediately? Now I'm going to be theological for just a second. I'm going to take you to the last part of verse (coughs) 7. Notice how it concludes. It says, by this, well, I'll read the whole verse. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. I'm not going to emphasize that. I will almost put it into my outline. What did... Noah, do by faith, he built an ark, he condemned the world, and he inherited righteousness. But I chose not to take that approach, but there's something there, so I'm going to at least comment on it. When you live a godly life before an ungodly world, you become a part of their condemnation. It's not your goal to condemn them. Your goal is to convert them. But if they're not converted, in the day of judgment, they come and say, so you live next door to those Christians who loved you and, and showed you how, what God's grace does in people's lives, and you rejected all of that? Our whole lives, in one sense, have a ministry of condemnation. We hope it doesn't remain that. We pray, Lord, don't let my life just be a condemning life for the ungodly. May it somehow be an attraction to a conversion. But, But Noah's life was part of the condemnation that came. And when the judgment comes, God can say to all of the people that Noah preached to for 120 years, did you not hear the gospel? You didn't know that a judgment was going to come? What was Noah preaching? What did Noah say? He didn't say that a flood was going to come. Yes, he said a flood was going to come, but I never heard of a flood before. <clears throat> you are condemned because you heard what you needed to hear and you didn't respond to it. So that's just a word about the condemnation. But I want to get to the point. By this he condemned the world and, here it is, and became an heir of righteousness, the righteousness that comes by faith. Literally in the Greek it says, the according to faith righteousness. The according to faith righteousness. Now, if you're theologically astute at all, and this will be a little test, you know there are two kinds of righteousness, at least in the Bible. There's what we call imputed, that is put to our record. When God looks at the record of every true believer, he says, no sin, no sin, no sin, it was all paid for by Jesus, perfectly righteous in Christ. There's nothing I hold against that person. They're in my son. When they're in my son, they're perfect. That's the imputed righteousness. The moment we trust in Jesus by faith, that righteousness is given to us. I'm preaching the gospel right now. This is the good news. There's a double exchange. We give him all of our sins. He gives us all of his righteousness. He's the payment for our sins. We're clothed in the perfect righteousness. We're like the prodigal son with a new robe on. When God sees us in his son, he sees what he's well pleased with. When he said three times from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You can be sure of this, that if you are in Jesus by faith, he is well pleased with you judicially as your judge nothing to give an account for in the day of judgment clothed in the imputed righteousness of Christ that's what Noah got immediately now when did he get that when he started building the ark no he built the ark because he had faith and the moment you have faith and you look to Jesus you get the righteousness it is the according to faith righteousness It's an imputed righteousness. It's an inheritance. Do people take pride in an inheritance as if they earned it? How did you get all that wealth? My rich uncle put me in his will. How did you get the righteousness of Christ? I inherited it by faith. Full-handed faith showing the things you were doing for God? No! Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. It was an empty-handed faith. I've inherited it. It came from outside of me. And as the old theologians used to speak of it, it's an alien faith. It isn't native to me. It's an alien righteousness. It isn't native to me. I'm unrighteous by nature. Jesus was perfectly righteous. And I inherited it by means of faith. So be very clear about this. Noah was a justified believer, trusting in the coming Redeemer with his limited knowledge and was pronounced in the sight of God the same way Abel was pronounced righteous, the same way Enoch was pronounced righteous, the same way anyone who ever gets to heaven is pronounced righteous, by the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Philippians 3 is about. Would you just quickly look at that? Philippians 3, this is the only passage that I'm turning us to, and then I'm going to conclude. This is one of my favorite passages. This is one that I find myself preaching on frequently at funerals because I want to make the gospel so clear to unconverted people. And this is the passage where Paul says, if you want to brag about credentials, i got a host of them, but I don't dare to trust in any of them. In fact, they're just like manure to me. I used to trust in them. I no longer trust in them. I've given them all up. I've let them all go. I'm done with them because there's only one righteousness I want. It's in verse 9. I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, which comes from the law. If you keep the Ten Commandments really good, then you might get enough righteousness that God will look and say, well, it's not all that I wanted, but it's, it's enough. It's just enough. Not that kind of righteousness, no. Not having a righteousness of my own. Of my own. It comes from... The law. You can't keep the law perfectly anyway, so you can never be perfectly righteous. Jesus says the moment a man looks upon a woman to lust after he's already committed adultery. So every single one of us are guilty of breaking all of the Ten Commandments, spiritually speaking. Paul doesn't want a righteousness that comes from keeping the law. What does he want? Here it is but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Just read that about ten times. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. That which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God. That's what Noah got. He inherited a righteousness. So when I raised the question in my last point, what is the fruit of Noah's faith? The fruit is immediately uh, pardon from God, complete, perfect righteousness. He, he received by faith the righteousness from God, that comes from God. But then ultimately, what did he experience? Well, actually, before I get to ultimately, could I just say a word about intermediately? So you get, a, you get this pure, perfect righteousness from God, then you live like the devil the rest of your life, and then at the end of history, God says, well, because you're in my son, um, heaven's yours so you can live any way you want to live between now and then no the second you're born again that other se- that other form of righteousness is implanted in your soul The one is a covering on the outside. It's like the robe of the prodigal son. The other is a change from within. The Holy Spirit comes into your life at the new birth, and it changes you, gives you a new heart, and you want to live differently. You don't live perfectly, but you live differently, and you live progressively differently. And God begins the process of making you like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the perfectly righteous one. So Noah grew in grace, just like Enoch. I told you that last week. Enoch wasn't a sinless man. He had to be saved, and he had to be sanctified. Noah wasn't a sinless man. He had to be saved, and he had to be sanctified. And he grew in that form of righteousness as well. First, he's clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and then his life begins to be characterized by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who changes his behavior from the inside out. And he did live a righteous life. Noah was a holy man. Noah didn't laugh at the wicked jokes. He was a changed man. But that wasn't the ground of his salvation. Christ was the ground of his salvation. Nor was his obedience the ground of his salvation. I really want to make this clear. We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves us is never alone. Can I say that again? This is worth remembering. We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves us is never alone. And we can say that about justification. Justification is by grace through faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. But the faith that justifies is never alone. It's a life-transforming faith. So Noah's life was changed, and he lived a godly life. But then, ultimately, what happened? The flood came. And again, let your imagination go. If, in fact, it had never rained before, can you imagine what it must have been like for his neighbors when he got in the ark? In the ark, the door closed on its own. That's a little spooky. You ever watch a door close at home and there was no fan on and the furnace isn't running and there doesn't seem to be any draft in the house? It's like, what's going on here? Noah gets in the ark with his family and the door closes automatically because God is closing the door. And then they hear this strange... And you start hearing thunder. And you start hearing the water pelting. And then it seems like something's happening on the ground as well. And after so many hours, this thing starts moving a little bit and then you can feel like it's coming up and probably at first it was moving quite a bit because this was a deluge, this was a big flood, but they're safe, God's taking care of them. And then finally after 40 days, the rain quits and the fountains close up and things settled and they're floating. And they're in this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, the ark. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. The ark is a t- type of Jesus. The animal that was slain to cover Adam and Eve was a type of Jesus. He is the ultimate ark. In him we are safe From the judgment. Do you see the simultaneous nature of judgment and salvation? Which comes first? They're simultaneous. Judgment is falling upon mankind. Deliverance and salvation is being experienced. And when Jesus comes back, judgment will fall on the whole world. Matthew 24 says it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. People are going to be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, which is not wicked behavior. It's just normal behavior. But they're oblivious to God and suddenly the lightning strikes, and suddenly the thunder claps, and suddenly the rain of judgment falls, although in this case it's fire. It's not water, it's fire. And when judgment falls salvation is experienced. The dead in Christ are raised up first and we who are alive and remain are caught up together to usher our Savior to the earth and we're separated like sheep and goats and the horrible judgment takes place in those words, depart from me for I never knew you are spoken, shattering words, scary, fearful words and then his people here enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Judgment and salvation are simultaneous. But you have to have faith. And I just want to say to the children today, children, you know about Noah's flood. You sing about it. I hope you believe it really happened because it really did happen. But guess what? There's another judgment coming, boys and girls. It's not going to be a flood of water. It's going to be a flood of fire. And everything that you see is going to melt. This building is going to melt. If we go outside right now, there's no place we can stand that there wasn't once water when God judged the world with flood. But if we go outside and look at this building, or the Sears Tower in Chicago, or the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, the tallest building in the world, it's going to melt. It's literally, literally going to melt because the whole surface of the earth is going to melt under the fiery judgment of God. But those who are in the ark, namely Jesus Christ, will not come under that judgment. Boys and girls, now is the time to trust Jesus. Don't wait for the thunder and the lightning. Again, you don't have to work hard at imagining how those people, when it started raining, what they... They started saying, hey, it's not so funny anymore. as It's probably not going to be a flood, but this is kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah, look, it's up to my ankles. <laughs> hey, it's getting higher. And pretty soon they're waist deep, and then they're chest deep, and then they're neck high, and they flee to the highest hills, and they climb to the highest trees. No more laughing. Noah was right. Boys and girls, mom and dad are right. Your Sunday school teachers are right. Your pastors are right. Most importantly, God is right. Judgment is coming. And unless your sins are paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ, and unless you come to Him and trust in Him to be your Savior, that judgment will consume you and you will be sent to hell for all eternity. You shouldn't say that to children, Pastor. I'll say that to anybody. If they're old enough to understand it, they need to hear it. So there's Noah, brothers and sisters. And here's the last thing please please don't think that Noah was special he was an ordinary guy he was an ordinary guy he was not one of the men of renown he was a farmer and he became a carpenter he was a normal guy and there's not a single believer in this room or listening to me via internet who cannot have the faith of noah so if you're discouraged Don't be discouraged because you just say, well, I could never be like that. This text is in the Bible because you can be like that. And God wants you to be like that. And God is going to help you become like that. What we need to do is live in this word and get to know this God who, when he speaks, tells the truth and build our whole lives upon his truthfulness because that's the foundation for faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Brief verse of Scripture. There's so much in it. And we do thank you that you are a God worthy to be trusted. And we do thank you that there is a grace, a gift from God, gift from you, which is called faith, which enables us to believe, to open our eyes and see things that are not seen, to see a Savior hanging on a cross, taking the wrath of God in our place, to see a Savior coming again in judgment, We thank you that that grace belongs to so many of us and pray that it will belong to everyone and that everyone, including the children, will flee today to the Lord Jesus Christ and inherit and become an heir, an heir of the by faith righteousness. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.